Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flody, and this episode is everything you need to know about aesthetics in urology. Today, I have the distinct privilege of having Dr. Lana Chuck on with me today, and she will be um, discussing what she does in her office. And Dr. Lana is a board-certified urologist that now does aesthetics such as Botox and fillers, and um, now also aesthetics in the urology, uh, in urology. So, but before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I am not giving any type of religious or medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman who talks about sex. So now, Dr. Lana, um, if you could just tell our viewers and our listeners uh, exactly, maybe a little bit about yourself and then what it is that you do. Absolutely. First of all, I'm so excited to be on here. So Dev, you and I go way back. And, um, wow. you know, there, you know, I started out as a urologist, as you know, as a urologic surgeon. Uh, I trained at Brown, did a fellowship in robotics. So I do a lot of, um, you know, patients with kidney stones, uh, prostate cancer, uh, kidney cancer tumors, and uh, really just um, cure, you know, curing patients of, of their cancers and ailments and all uh, urologic issues, um, including urinary as well. Um, and we also treat some infertility as well. About 10 years into my journey, I realized um, that I really loved being artistic um, and really had an eye for aesthetics. And then I kind of transitioned into the aesthetics field. And, um, you know, within five years, I was really able to kind of grow uh, multiple businesses from my aesthetics. And now I focus on training other practitioners who want to get into the field of aesthetics. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, we've become like, you know, from physician to kind of an entrepreneur in, in you know, of sorts. Um, and we kind of keep, um, you know, we keep reinventing ourselves. And I think that's important to know, you know, as physicians that it's okay um, to reinvent yourself and to do something else that you're really passionate about uh, to help people and make them happy. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what you just said about in reinventing yourself, I feel like I've gone through that journey and am still going through that journey on my end as well. So I completely understand and I appreciate that you, um, you know, can be vulnerable and also talk about that yourself. So that's amazing. So tell me a little bit, I know that you train other physicians, so that's amazing, but um, tell me a little bit about like the aesthetics in urology. What is, what is that all about? Sure. So aesthetics in urology is basically anyone that comes in who wants uh, improvement in not only kind of functional, but um, 
cosmetic of their genital areas. Uh, for men, you know, men, we go through um, a lot of different um, treatments because, you know, one of the issues with men is obviously the functional issue of erectile dysfunction. I know you guys have talked about that in the past on your podcast. Um, but, you know, we offer a lot of treatments for erectile dysfunction. But, you know, there are men who just want, um, you know, their genitalia to look a different way, right? Whether it's circumcised, uncircumcised, partially circumcised, etc. But also um, augmenting, um, you know, what they have. Have. And then that's also been a really hot topic and something that's really um, more, you know, out there now as far as um, augmenting the girth, um, you know, of the penis. Hmm. Okay. So how how do you go about doing that? How how does you know you as a urologist will go about increasing the girth of, say, you know, a man's penis when he's not satisfied with that? I guess. Right. So the majority of patients that we see that come to us um, are those who, you know, have um, issues with girth. I mean, length is a different thing. I mean, there are ways that uh, we can um, increase the length. And I'll just kind of talk about historically what's been done and how that didn't work and how we've kind of got to where we are now. So historically, what we used to do was we used to, when I say we, meeting urologist, you know, before, I've actually never done this procedure um, because it's actually out of vogue now. It's, it's, not, um, it's not recommended to do this procedure, but we used to cut the suspensory ligament of the penis. And so what happens is, you know, uh, what you're seeing as far as the penile shaft uh, externally is actually tethered to your pubic bone. Uh, by ligaments, right? And so some patients uh, have had surgeries in which that ligament has been incised. And after incising that ligament, they have more mobility and more, um, you know, more length just because there's more mobility of that shaft to go from kind of internal to kind of external. It's almost like a hammock. So it's it's almost like it's more mobile. So they're able to have that mobility. Uh, the problem that we saw with that technique is that even though we incised the ligaments um, of, the, of the penile shaft, we saw that there was a lot of scar tissue that happened afterwards. And sometimes when you get scarring, as you guys all know, uh, things can contract and look even smaller, right? And so that's something that we definitely want to prevent. Um, and so nowadays we can augment the penis with fillers, that's non-surgically. There are plastic surgeons, urologists doing that with fillers. And then there are also uh, urologists and plastic surgeons that are using silicone implants to place underneath uh, the dartos and onto the corpora cavernosa, which um, in anatomy is basically just kind of onto the two uh, bodies of the shaft. And that silicone that's placed underneath the skin and under, you know, on bucks and underneath dartos um, is sutured in place. So it's tacked in place. And so when you have, um, you know, in the flaccid state, uh, the penis appears more, um, you know, longer and larger girth. How does that affect the function? Does it affect function? Is it, for example, is a, is a man still able to attain it in erection? I would assume so. Yes. Uh, so before, um, 
before these implants were discovered. Um, and it was discovered by Dr. Um, Ellist um, and Dr. Panuma, these are called Panuma implants. Um, they, uh, we, you know, obviously we place in the three-piece penile prosthesis or, or the one-piece. Um, these penile prosthesis are cylinders that are placed into the corporal bodies, and then there's a pump and a reservoir, and we know we, we place the pump into one of the scrotal uh, compartments, and then the patients pump themselves, and then the water from the reservoir goes into um, the cylinders, into the into the the corporal bodies, and then they are able to get an erection. And in order for them to detumesce and decrease erection, they, you know, kind of push a valve into their scrotum to detumesce that. And what they found was that in certain instances, if you uh, place that, you know, kind of after having a radical prostatectomy, meaning prostate cancer, taking out the prostate, um, the more, um, you know, I would say kind of the more blood flow and the more you use it, you know, you really... Um, you really sustain that erectile length. So one way to prevent penile shortening, uh, especially after surgery, especially after cancer surgery, radical prostatectomy, is by putting in penile prosthesis to elongate things. But this is different because that's more for function. Those are for patients who, uh, you know, are no longer able to sustain or even obtain an erection. This uh, Panuma implant is completely uh, cosmetic. It actually stays on top of the corporal bodies. Um, it does not affect function. It does not affect orgasm. It does not affect uh, sensitivity or pleasure um, if done the correct way. Interesting. And um, how long does that procedure take? So the Panuma implants will take anywhere between one to two hours. Um, and it's done mostly by uh, urologists and plastic surgeons. And those are the only two, uh, you know, only two, um, I would say, people that can actually do this at this time. It's not for everyone. Uh, and you have to be very careful because here's the thing, right? If you're putting something a little bit more superficially over the corporal bodies, you want to make sure that it doesn't move, it doesn't erode, uh, it doesn't get infected because any implants that we have in our bodies, we have to make sure uh, that we don't get them infected and we don't introduce bacteria to them. That's why it's really important during the procedure, any procedures that we put in plants to really make sure that everything is cleaned very well. So we do like 10 to 15 minutes of scrubbing, dual scrubbing, and, you know, no outside people in the room. Basically, we keep the doors closed. Once everybody's in, that stays as sterile as possible. Sure. So, um, you know, I think you mentioned a little bit, but just in case some of our viewers may have missed it, um, what would be an indication for um, to have this implant for a man? So I know you said after uh, prostate cancer, right? Uh, yes, prostate cancer for um, the... the the, I would say the normal implantable penile prosthesis. Okay. Uh, for this specific called the Panuma uh, prosthesis, mm -hmm. which is just for cosmetics, um, it, you know, the, I would say the indications are the, are the men coming, and this is not a procedure that I do regularly, but my colleague, uh, Dr. Robert Valenzuela, I'm going to give him a shout out over at Mount Sinai. He does this regularly, and we, we talk about this all the time because he was trained to do this, and he is so busy. He tells me that he books up uh, like months in advance uh, of like wow. you know these prostheses all day, and it's all cash out of pocket. Um, but you know the indications are really for anybody who feels that they want to increase their girth. And they call it more like a locker room uh, penis because, you know, as you're erect, um, you know, the uh, erectile tissues fill up with blood. 
And so you do get the girth and you do get the length. But in these patients, when they're flaccid, they also want to be girthier. <laughs> That's a word, right? They want to really kind of, I want to say show off, but they, they want to look uh, like they have girth to them. So they call this kind of like a locker room penis because uh, one thing that we have to make sure of is when these prostheses are placed that it doesn't move and that it feels very natural because the last thing you want is this, you know, this uh, penile augmentation uh, to cosmetically uh, be desirable. But when you're uh, actually engaging in intercourse, uh, it's, you know, it's felt, it's palpable, it's, it's not um, it's not uh, sutured in correct, you know, sutured in the right place, and it kind of is mobile or moves or gives you any deformity of the skin or or, or rippling de- defects and things like that. So, uh, so that's why I feel like this has to be done by uh, either urologists who are experts in the field, uh, or by plastic surgeons who are have to be very well trained to do this procedure. Sure, I guess you'd also worry about uh, putting an implant on the penis too tight, right? And cutting off any type of blood supply. Yes, um, for sure. I think any type of, and also uh, like nerve damage, right? Uh, et cetera. Uh, uh, we yeah, have uh, yeah, a dorsal penile nerve, artery vein, and you want to make sure um, that you're, you're not severing any of these uh, important structures as you're placing the implant and dissecting down to it. So there's specific ways of doing that to uh, stay safe uh, and be careful with the anatomy. So uh, getting back to some of the non-surgical ways of the penile augmentation, uh, a lot of people now are doing fillers. And fillers, uh, as you know, are FDA approved uh, for face, but it's off-label for you know body and specifically for uh, labia and for penile augmentation. But it is being done, uh, and a lot of people are doing it. So I guess the same reason would apply in terms of why they want that um, done. And I assume it's, again, it's to increase girth, right? So instead of putting that uh, implant on the penis, then you would uh, be using fillers. Yes. And the fillers have to be placed in such a way that it's not going into any vascular structure. So it has to be done by a professional who knows what they're doing. And this is not to say that... um, you know, this is something that everyone should be doing. It's really not. Uh, there are people out there doing it. And so I just wanted to, you know, come on with you just to talk about, uh, you know, how they do it, why they do it, etc. cetera. Uh, how they do it is either using a needle or using a cannula and staying superficial to the corporal bodies of erectile tissue. And what that means is you're really putting it superficial to the tunica albuginea and to bux fascia. So you're putting on top of bux fascia between dartos and bux fascia. And what that means is that you have to get it all around circumferentially in such a way that it's going to be very natural, right? But we all know that the penile anatomy is such that the ventral, meaning the front side of the penis, is where we house our urethra, right? Where we urinate through, the hole that we urinate through. And so you have to be very careful not to get any filler um, into that compartment of the penis because that would be devastating to get filler into the urethra or around the urethra or any injury to the urethra itself. So I I always say cannula is probably safer um, than needle in this area and it has to be such that it's not lumpy bumpy and the patients are not 
you know, touching it, using it, um, you know, so forth, which can be difficult, right? Because a lot of men get um, what we call nocturnal tumescence, you know, a, a nighttime erection. So you really want that patient to, to, to not become erect and definitely not uh, be sexually active for quite some time afterwards to decrease the risk of bulking, you know, bunching and uh, lumpy bumpiness. Well, I guess so. Um, you know, a lot of things for somebody to think about if they're really considering this. And I can imagine that it would be horrible, actually, to get that filler in into the urethra itself, right? I mean, you're basically blocking um, the, I mean, the individual wouldn't be able to urinate. Absolutely. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. There are some times that hyaluronic acid can be placed um, in the um, bladder neck area to kind of bulk it up, like bulk of it, et cetera, you know, th- uh, where patients are incontinent, meaning urine just kind of leaks out um, uncontrollably. And in those cases, uh, we do uh, endoscopically, we call it cystoscopically, we put in a little camera into the urethra, into the bladder neck, and then inject uh, a bulking substance, either hyaluronic acid, like you see with your facial fillers, uh, calcium hydroxyapatite, like you see with like our radius for face, and that's injected into the bladder neck and, you know, uh, in order to increase that urethral resistance to decrease the risk of incontinence. But yes, if you go through any structure you're not supposed to go through, or let's just say you go into um, the uh, corpora cavernosa where there's blood sinusoids, right, you can actually cause a vascular occlusion of the penis. So you don't want to get it into anywhere that can cause vascular occlusion because that's when you get tissue death um, and, you know, that organ dies, the skin, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why it's so important, right, for any of our viewers or anyone listening to this that is interested in something, um, you know, aesthetics and urology, that it's so important to go to a physician. You know, I wouldn't go to somebody that is, I don't know, just trained or watch some YouTube video at home or something like that and is now trying to get clients and patients to do this procedure on, you want to make sure you go to somebody that actually understands and knows the anatomy. And that's why it's important for men or for individuals that uh, decide to have this procedure done to go to a urologist or a plastic surgeon that is trained in this type of procedure. So that's why it's Absolutely. So that's such a great point because I know nowadays everybody wants to get into the aesthetics field, but we want to make sure that, right. you know, that, that patients understand uh, what needs to go into your training and education before you go to somebody. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, can you explain to our viewers what like is a, is a P shot and an O shot? I know that those have been advertised and uh, um, just so I I know what they are, but just so for the viewers that don't know what are, you know, perhaps you can talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So regenerative medicine is such a huge field nowadays, right? It kind of started, uh, I would say probably like five to seven years ago, and it just becomes so big because we realized that if we take, you know, platelets from our own blood um, and growth factors and, and signaling cells um, and reject it into certain areas of our body that we're basically causing our body to kind of re-stimulate uh, collagen building, etc. And so we now, now know that if we 
took out some, you know, took out our blood, spun it down, get our platelets, and then reject it back into our face or into our body. It's really uh, tricking our bodies to say, you know what, we're not done making collagen yet, so let's start making more collagen. And so with the P shot, it's uh, actually called the Pripis shot, P shot for short, and the O shot, uh, you know, uh, is something that Charles Ronalds. Um, had kind of put out there in his, uh, you know, licensing of the vampire facial, etc. But basically, it's PNL PRP and vaginal PRP, and what that is is with women, we do a lot of vaginal PRP. We uh, take their blood, we spin it down, we have a really good system, and then we take out all the good growth factors from the blood, and then we reject it back, and we re reject it back into several different areas. One area, right, is going to be the area of the bladder neck. And the reason why that is because you have patients, as you said earlier, who have incontinence, leakage of urine, right? And that could be stress-related, meaning anytime you valsalva, anytime you bear down, anytime you cough or sneeze, do a jumping jack, uh, whether pre or post babies, you'll have some leakage. And patients think that they have to live with it, but they actually don't have to live with it. And so one of the things that we do is we inject this PRP back into that area. We don't need to do it endoscopically. We just inject it uh, from the outside in. It's your own plasma. It's your own platelets. Uh, so there's really minimal uh, risk there. And then we also inject it into the clitoral hood and into the body of the clitoris so that you can get more sensation for those patients who feel like everything is dead down there after having babies. Um, and then there's also a spot that we inject called the G spot, right? And so a lot of patients uh, are always asking, well, is that such, is that a real thing? You know, I, I don't know if I have one. I don't know what it is. I don't think you know, everyone's ever found it. But it sure is a, a definite location of the confluence of a lot of nerves um, in the uh, vaginal canal. And what I do is I, I go ahead and I examine them beforehand. And after I examine them, I always check to see, is this area very sensitive for you? And they will tell you yes. So you have to know whether it's to the right, to the left, or central um, in the area where you feel the ridges uh, kind of more proximal to your uh, anterior pharynx. And after doing so, you'll know exactly where that is. And we inject PRP into the G-spot. And our patients are so happy afterwards. It's really life-changing for them. Um, just to give you a quick little uh, testimonial of one of my dear patients who's had this done. And what, how they explained it was, it's basically putting like a big bullseye, like a big target to their G-spot so that even if their partner is somewhere close to there, they're able to feel it so much more. And so that sensitivity, the sensation is so much more amplified that they're able to have not only multiple orgasms uh, vaginally, but even for those who have never had uh, orgasms with vaginal uh, intercourse, they're, they're now able to or very, very close to having uh, orgasms uh, with penetration. So Dr. Lana, you were mentioning about um, the O-shot and the P-shot, you know, and I think that the O-shot is great for women, especially if they haven't been able to experience a vaginal orgasm and they need help with it. I think it's great that you provide that service. Um, maybe you can just tell our listeners a little bit about how long the results last with an O-shot and with a P-shot. Sure. Uh, that's a great question. So usually what we tell our patients is they need three sessions, one session, one month apart times three, and we've seen results last 12 to 18 months. Um, our mm -hmm. last patient that we did just because she, it's fresh in my mind because she was just here about two weeks ago, uh, she had, um, she 
actually uh, is a divorcee who's just started dating out there. And, uh, you know, and she's very open about her story. And she had a child and she just felt like nothing was working down there. And she had no idea about this. But then she saw my, uh, you know, she saw my uh, website and said, you know what, let me let me just go ahead and get a consultation and see what this is all about. So she comes in, she explains to me that she felt she feels nothing, uh, and that you know she wants to be intimate with her um, with her new partner, but is super scared, um, and just thought that this was normal part after after childbirth. And so I did the O shot on her, the vaginal PRP, and she was so happy that she she literally texted me after <laughs> after being with her partner, and she was just saying you know like ten out of ten, it was amazing. She's so happy, her life has changed forever. A year later, and she just had that one. A year later, she comes back and she's like, everything was going so great. I forgot that I actually had this issue. And then I started feeling like I needed another one. So we did another one. And again, you know, 10 out of 10, super happy. So I do know that it, it can be prolonged, you know, for a year. But I also, it's important to understand for women, especially with, um, you know, it's multifactorial with orgasms uh, that, you know, a lot of it is also like mental as well, right? Psychological, uh, emotional, et cetera. Um, but for sure, everyone across the board is telling me how much improvement they've gotten. Uh, so I would say about a year or more. Uh, for male, a little bit more variable, I would say at least six months to a year. Okay. And, you know, it's so important that you mentioned that uh, for women, you know, intimacy tends to be uh, biopsychosocial. And in fact, I have a p whole podcast on that uh, regarding uh, the emotional connection and the emotional intimacy that women, re you know, crave when um, they, in terms of choosing a, sp a spouse or a partner. And, you know, it's important that you also mention that with orgasm, right? That in fact, oftentimes we forget that the biggest sexual organ uh, for women is their brain, right? And they have to use a lot of mindfulness and just be present in the moment um, in order to feel and to experience orgasm. And in fact, a lot of times it's the how well their relationship is that determines, you know, whether or not they're even able to approach intimacy or to have that orgasm. So I'm glad you brought that up. And that's so true. Absolutely. Sure, sure. No, I know that's very important to um, a lot of our listeners. And uh, you know, as you know, there, there's multiple ways to get orgasms, but you're right in terms of that vaginal orgasm that um, often women think that they need to have that PRP, I'm sure is very important. Uh, the O-shot, the o you know, I'm sure it would be very important for them to be able to experience a vaginal orgasm. And, um, you know, you talk about those nerve endings. I know that they recently changed the Nomenclature, I think they instead of the G spot, they call it the G zone because of all of those nerves that confluence right on the anterior vaginal wall. And, um, and that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bigger area now. But yeah, I'm sure just uh, injecting into that area would help to promote having a vaginal uh, orgasm. So I can see how that would be helpful. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, for the women who come into our practice who didn't realize that, you know, they're not, they, you know, that they, they were missing out on this. Right. And also um, a lot of the men who come in um, are very happy to have their wives come in and also they come in and get the, the pee shot. Uh, so yeah, we could definitely go into what that means for a male as well. Uh, I find uh, 
PRP and men a little bit more, um, I would say, more variable when it comes to the outcome. Because uh, for men, uh, they could have a lot of other issues that's going on, right, with their erections. Uh, a lot of times we have men come and just say, you know what, Dr. Lana, I really just want to have some enhancement. I don't have any issues with my erections, uh, you know, whether that's true or not, but they're coming in because they want improved erections, stronger erections more durable erections. And so I think that's also important to know too, um, is that, you know, this is not just for those who have a degree of erectile dysfunction, that it's also for those who have healthy erections, but really just want a little bit more robust erections. Um, but I think that PRP works best in those with mild erectile dysfunction. So like, you know, according to our validated IIEF score, um, you know, that's a validated symptom score of like how bad your erections are. If they're on the mild Mild, uh, you know, um, category, I would say that this is definitely a good option for them. And then we also combine it with shockwave therapy as well. I can discuss about that a little bit later as well. Um, and then there are those who really don't get any erections at all, whether it's, you know, post-procedurally or atrogenic or, you know, uh, diabetes or, or any other uh, kind of, you know, cardiac condition that they have and that they're unable to, um, to have erections because we know erections, uh, you know, you, in order to get good erections, you definitely have to have a strong heart. You have to have good blood vessels, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, for those patients, I would say PRP is probably not uh, indicated for those patients, but it's probably more for penile enhancement uh, versus more for uh, erectile dysfunction. It's all great information for our individuals that are listening that may be interested in something, um, you know, PRP related for men and for women. Uh, in terms of enhancing their, whether it's erections or their orgasms, you know, it's important for them to know um, who they can reach out to and if that's something that they're interested in. So that's excellent. Um, what were you talking about in terms of shockwave? I don't know anything. Shockwave. Yeah, uh, for sure. So one of the things that um, has been more developed and talked about in the recent, I would say probably the recent five years, um, is really the idea of using shockwave, low intensity shockwave therapy. So low intensity shockwave therapy is actually talked a lot about in the literature when it comes to urologists. And we've talked about this in our annual uh, American Urological Association now for years, still considered experimental at this point because there's not been any good validated uh, studies to show its benefit. But Patients are asking for it, right? So what patients are asking for, so what it is, it's uh, using shockwave. So shockwave is something that urologists use a lot of. We use it for uh, kidney stones to really break up kidney stones. Uh, and it's also used for like plantar fasciitis. In fact, shockwave is one of the FDA-approved treatments for plantar fasciitis, meaning uh, like fascia issues with the, the, the plantar aspect of your foot. And so... Somebody thought, well, what would happen if we use this low-intensity shockwave and we applied it to the penile tissues, right? Would it increase erections? How would it do it? Does it cause angiogenesis, meaning like, uh, you know, new blood growth? And I think that's the idea is it actually promotes more angiogenesis. So more blood growth to the penis means more blood flow into the penis, which means bigger and better erections. And the way that we do this is it's a machine. And there's a probe. The probe is then uh, placed on the shaft of the penis all the way to the core, so from the distal end all the way to the core, back and forth. And we deliver a couple of thousand shocks to each side. 
And then we also have PRP added into their sessions as well. Our patients typically get a total of six sessions of Shockwave and then three sessions of PRP for one full treatment algorithm. And uh, our patients are very happy. What they're usually saying afterwards is that they feel that their erections are more spontaneous. They're able to get more durability of their erections and more firmer, harder erections. So on the uh, EHS score, the erection and hardness score, it definitely score higher on that after having this, these procedures done. Wow, that sounds um, painful. <laughs> Those shockwaves and putting a... You know, it's interesting. It does sound painful because you're thinking, you know, you're thinking like a Theragun on your back sometimes hurts, right? You're like, how, how does this feel down there? It's actually, believe it or not, used also for chronic pain, pelvic pain, and people are using it for um, like pelvic floor dysfunction, chronic prostatitis. They're looking into, um, it's one of those things where, you know, initially you kind of feel, it's not like shocks as in like electrocuting. It's just kind of like a, like a, uh, almost like a mechanical, like, you know, uh, like a little, little, little punch there, but not like a really heavy punch. But what, what it feels like to them is that, you know, they have this thing kind of like pump, like, you know, like a massager, but a little bit more firm. And, but after a couple of minutes, they actually don't feel it anymore. So I think it's kind of like your body's way, right. Of like decreasing all the sensation. So you don't really yeah. feel it as much. So they, they actually tolerate it pretty well. We don't even have to have to numb these patients. Maybe it's like a desensitization type thing, I guess, once they start. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was very informative, Dr. Lana. Um, any parting thoughts that you want to give our viewers or our listeners regarding aesthetics in urology? Yeah. So I think you said it really well in the beginning, Dr. Uh, Sadaf. I think you said, you know, you just have to be very careful about who you're going to. You have to go to someone who's really well trained. Um, and this goes for aesthetics, for face and for anything, you know, urology related. Uh, I think it's really important um, that you know, it's, you know, that you, you're going to a physician that has been trained in all this um, and that have done procedures in the past. Uh, for our patients uh, and listeners, I think that if, you know, if you guys have any questions, you guys can always reach out. Uh, you know, I'm uh, on Instagram. Uh, we follow each other, Dr. Sudev, uh, as Dr. Lana, D-O-C-T-O-R-L-A-N-N-A. Uh, and I'm happy to answer any other questions. Uh, I know that, you know, this is kind of like a taboo uh, discussion, but I love that you have this platform for people to come listen, ask questions without any judgment. So thank you for, for, for doing that for us. Yes. And thank you, Dr. Lana. This was very interesting. You know, definitely, um, I've definitely not had anyone else talk about this particular topic. So I'm glad that our patients do have a resource like you who's board certified in urology and yet still does aesthetics and can give the care that patients need and want, you know, there's no judgment with that and uh, it's available with, you know, if they want it. And uh, just remind our patients where you're located. I know it's in New York City in Manhattan. Yes, we are at 140 West 58th Street uh, at Central Park South. And uh, yeah, we would love to have you guys come and we can talk about uh, any of the sexual health and or aesthetic needs that you know you have. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lana. And well, well thank I- you for having me. Thank you. So, well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns that you might have. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thank you.